Hello and welcome to episode number 78 of the Chris Knott Podcast. When I first started this show, my objective was to interview the biggest, strongest and smartest people in the fitness industry. And on today's show, I have a Olympic weightlifter who has performed at the 2004 Olympics, uh, a IFBB pro who's been on stage at the Mr. Olympia, and someone who has broken several powerlifting world records in different weight divisions. Funnily enough, though, it comes in the form of the same person in Amit Sapir. On today's show, Amit talks about uh, program design for powerlifting and where his approach differs from the greatest powerlifter of all time, Ed Cohen. We touch on nutrition and genetics, uh, whether genetics play a part in your potential to achieve world-class status in powerlifting and bodybuilding. Um, and we delve into a topic which usually gets... Um, Pushed under the, swept under the rug, which is that of PEDs in sport. So the drug usage in sports and his take on things, which is something you definitely don't want to miss. So uh, there's a, a lot to take from this one. If you want to know more about genetic potential, if you want to know more about program design to get strong to a world-class standard, and if you want to really know what's going on in, um, in the world of sport in regards to drug use, uh, make sure you check this one out. This is episode number 78, Amit Sapir. Okay, Amit, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. And uh, what, uh, you, you got over the nerves from this morning then? Oh yeah, my son's first, uh, first day of kindergarten. I won't lie, I have a couple of tears in my eyes there. <laughs> what was more nervous? And they end up kicking me out of there because they didn't let parents stay. And I <laughs> tried, but yeah. What was more nerve-wracking, getting, off, getting on the stage as an IFBB pro or uh, going to kindergarten this morning? Oh, I think kindergarten is much worse. <laughs> Olympia was fun. That was not fun. Cool. So for anybody who doesn't know who you are, um, what was your background? What have you achieved? And how did you get started in the um, lifting world? Well, I started actually in track and field when I was like 10, like fourth grade, and I was pretty fast, and I kept going with this. And I had, by the time I was 15, I had a seven-meter long jump and like 10.800 meters. Wow. And my co- I, I was, I don't know, I still remember the day when I watched uh, Carl Lewis and Ben Johnson like compete in 88 in Seoul, and I said, we sat in a restaurant, and I told my mom, I want to be the best in the world like them. And it was like something I just... It's hard, it's hard to explain, but I just knew it's going to happen. So when I was 15, my track and field coach came to me and said, you know, I love you. He was like a father figure for me. But if you actually want to do good in the highest level, you're not black and you're 5'4". So you probably want to try Olympic lifting, for example. And I was very sad, but he was right. And when I started Olympic weightlifting, because it's, it's basically sprinting, long jump, it's the same movement, just just explosive power right so one is with your body the other one is with weights so when i moved to change to olympic weightlifting it was really natural to me and i progressed really fast and i qualified to the 204 olympics and two two months before i tore my shoulder in like the last the last competition in the prep competition before toward my infraspinatus um olympics didn't go very well obviously because of that but i just wanted to go and so and then when i came back back then we're talking about what like 15 years ago the surgery that i was supposed to do they told me i'll have to be like at least one and a half year out and then just start like recovery which for me at that point i lived in israel was like a death sentence because i i used the gym from a really young age as my therapy and to stay out of trouble 
Mm. And I and I knew that um, if I'm going to sit outside for two years, like it's not going to end up good for me. I, at that point, I lived in the gym when I was 17, and uh, I just said no way. So I skipped the surgery and I just started lifting, like what I could. I couldn't do back then one RM, so I started doing reps. And first was like 225 for 12, and 315 for eight, and. One point, I moved to an apartment with a bodybuilder. It was a friend of mine I met in the gym, and he he, he started to get me into this. So he's like, "You should try to do a show and this and that." And I didn't really like to be honest, but I said, "Okay, I like competing, and I want to do professional sport. Let's try that." And at the same time, I start so I started to learn a little bit about it. And again, I was eighteen or nineteen. And I started talking to Nation with a Christian Thibodeau, and then. He, I, I still remember, man, I asked him, like, so many questions. Like, I don't know, how, probably, up until this day, he probably have nightmares for me. And, you, you know, the basics, like, what's carbs, what's protein, how much you should eat, can I eat chocolate with this, and all kind of, like, and he, for a long time, helped me for no, for free, just through the forums, and I was, you know, I, I was like a sponge, so I learned and learned and learned, and after, I think, a year, I did my first uh, amateur show, and I won. So it was motiv- good motivation. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but, you know. And then I did national, and I won my class as well. And from there, it just kept, like, progressing. And I got my pro card after I finished top five in the European. And first pro show, I fell on my ass because I didn't know what to expect. I finished dead last. <laughs> and then um, from there... Again, I, I had the, I worked with Chris Acido and Branch Warren helped me a lot, you know. So I had I had really good mentors on the way to to where I was. And in the show, um, Branch actually helped me with. I after this, I qualified to the Olympia, and um, I finished. I think what was it? I finished twelve out of twenty five guys, and it was great. It was a great experience. Like every bodybuilder, I guess, want to be on the Olympia stage. That's the goal. But after did the after I did the Olympia, I realized that the IFBB is um is, is a beauty pageant, right? It's like fifty percent how you look mm-hmm. and fifty percent who you know, what asses you're willing to kiss, and how much, how much money you have, what judges you know. It's like it's have nothing to do how you look. And I saw people that like should have placed much better, and they didn't even get top 10, and guys that should not even be in the Olympia somehow qualified, and you know what, and for me, like, I love bodybuilding, I love the, even the diet, like the whole, whole life of bodybuilding, I love, but going on stage with basically a song and the tanning when you're weak as fuck, and like, it's not, it's not really like, this is not, it wasn't never my cup of tea, it was fun being on stage, but I, what I loved was the work before that. So after the Olympia, I did a few more pro shows, the New York Pro, and it, I was okay, but I always was like top 10, top 5 if I was good. I was never the best. And at that point, uh, my ex-wife, she wanted to do a powerlifting meet. So I said, okay, cool. And I tore my biceps just before, so I was off, and I, just, I said, I'm going to go there, coach her. And I met Brendan Lilly, and we started talking, and he started, like, he said, like, what do you do in the gym and this and that? I know you're from bodybuilding. So I told him my numbers, which was at the time I did, like, I think uh, 685, seven plates for, like, three, five reps and bench 500 and deadlift 750. And he said, you know what, with your numbers, you can probably break world records. And I lo- I'm looking at him, what? So, and that's, like, for me, it was, like, chin in my head. This, this is it. This is the sport I want to 
I, I, I can get what I dreamed of since I was six years old. And first, and I start, I started like, same with bodybuilding. I started reading a little bit, talk to people. And there was, I remember, a, probably six months after I decided to try it, there was the world championship of the GPA. It was in Australia. So I came out of literally nowhere and broke Jesse Norris' record in my first attempt, 706, and ended up doing 722 with like a high bar squad. And I, I, I remember like this was probably if I, if I had to tell you what professionally was the happiest day of my life, it was after getting this first, first ever world record because it was like 20 years of work just coming together. Mm. And I, I thought that after I get my world record, I'll relax and like, you know, and be okay. And well, it just made me hungrier. And I ended up being the first uh, man in history that have four world records in four different weight classes at the same time. And now, to be honest, after now it's 23 years of lifting, I'm starting to be like, okay, I'm, I'm close to be done. The fire that I had at the start is not there. My only thing left, I want my two sons, are, they're training with me now. Like my five-year-old is deadlifting 80 pounds. My seven-year-old is deadlifting 100 pounds. They squat. They, so uh, now they understand. So I told them, they asked me to break another one more world record. And I was like, if they ask, I can't say no. So I'm going to give this another run in the next two years. And probably after this, I'll, stay, I'll stick to coaching. My body is like, there's a price to professional sport. And whoever said otherwise, fine. And you know what? I I want to live more than sixty. So I think after the next one, it's going to be uh, like I'll call I'll call it. And, and do you mind saying what that record is that you're going to go for? Mm, you don't have honestly, to. <laughs> you don't have I to. I didn't decide yet. I'm, I want to. So right now, I um, uh, I have the three sleeves record in a 98, 220, 242. Mm -hmm. And I have the rap record in 181. Mm. I want this sleeves record because it's more of my thing. I, I experiment with raps. I did like two meets with them. And one of them was good enough to get the world record. But like, I don't know. It's all, For me, raps feel like slingshot for bench, you know? Yeah. It's mm. like, it gives you so much. So I don't know. And it's, and it's, you always have need to be, have someone in the gym. It's like really... It's, I have problems to put my sleeves on, so the wraps, it's like it's a whole new headache. Mm. But I think I'm going to go to the 181 mm. sleeves, and if, it's a big if, I'll, I'll still be good, I'll go to the um, 198 wrap, Ernie, uh, Ernie Lillibridge, I think have it right now. Mm. So, and they're good friends of mine, so he'll, he'll be, he's probably the only one that will be happy for me if I'll take it. Yes. <laughs> So did you did you have to have some sort of like readjustment period when it came to squat technique due to your Olympic lifting background? Because your mechanics of when of when I've seen videos of you squat, um, it's very like high bar, very like very quad dominant. Did you have to change your mechanics and relearn the movement, or did it always just come naturally to you? Oh wow, yes, that was the first. Um, I, I still remember, like first of all in Australia, this is my first meet. I just did high bar Olympic squat. Mm. That's what. But then, like, I started to talk to Ed Cohen and uh, Chris Duffin back in the day, mm -hmm. and they, they and Eric Lillibridge told me like when he switched from high bar to low bar, it added a hundred pounds on, on his squad. <laughs> and and I, I looked at him, I said, no way, because if I can add a hundred pounds, like eight or eight twenty, and my best is eight thirty, he was right every word. But yeah, it was it was it was a big adjustment because. The Olympic lifting, you're sitting like with your hands and touch your calves, but you're still sometimes not adept. 
because your uh, needs moving forward, shifting forward, right? So I had a big problem hitting depth at the start, and slowly, slowly, I talked to all many people and bounce ideas, and uh, in the start, I lowered the bar half an inch, and then another half an inch, and learned to... I basically, the way I squat and the way I teach squat is very different than your traditional powerlifting squat or your Olympic squat. Because what I, I call it like high bar, low bar. Because right. sti- I'm still sitting like on, on a straight line down. I'm not sitting back, like almost at all. But the bar positioning, obviously, it's a low bar positioning. So I'm trying to stay as vertical as possible with quad dominant-ish mm. kind of work. But I, but I did learn because I, I lowered the bar a little bit more and changed angles a bit. So I'm not 100% under the bar. It's, the bar is basically more on my heel than midfoot. Mm. Then it, it, it's definitely got my hands and the glutes to work a, lo- a little bit more. Mm. And like I, I said, after like a few, after my first year in powerlifting, I said, you know, in bodybuilding, I did so many isolation exercises for hamstring. And it was almost my weakest part. When I started doing low bar squats, my hamstring grew like it didn't grow in 10 years of bodybuilding, which mm. is it was now now for me low, low bar squat is one of the best ham, hamstring exercises I'm giving people, which is interesting. Mm. But yeah, it was like it took me six months, mm. I think, to adjust. And I remember in Australia, Ed Cohen like came to me after the meet, like the day after I broke the world record, and just took me and like basically taught me and my ex-wife from zero, just me, just asking him, which I till this day very grateful. And yeah, and from then it's just slowly just. You know, just grind and work and work and work. And now I, now it's hard for me to do high bar squat, ironically. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's, it, it was, it, it was quite, quite an adjustment. Like, I still like high bar squat more in, in terms of like, um, what's more comfortable, mm. but you definitely can move more weight in, uh, in low bar. Although Kevin, Kevin Oak right now differently. So I want, it, it did, I'm like, huh. If he can spot eight thirty with a high bar, I probably could too. So yeah, Do you, how yeah. how much would you say that like genetics and lever lengths come into things in in regards to? Because um, I, I think personally, my take on things is that lever lengths don't dictate you know depth and and things like that everyone can squat to depth and squat in a certain way but i do think lever lengths do impact genetic potential of people like yourself and ed who go on to squat uh, you know world record weights i'll tell I'll tell you how I see it. First of all, I think that you can have 50 people and not one will have an identical squad. Mm. This is where levers come into play. Mm. But I, I agree with you that everyone can squat to depth. And if you find your right angles, and again, that's changed from person to person. For me now, I can look at a person like, and, it's, and you know, it's inches of a different. Sit more low, hold your upper body tighter. Two inches forward, two inches back in your descent and can change the whole squad. The, the thing is that the, the differences are so subtle that if you don't know what you're looking for, it looks the same. But for me, it's enough that I'll find like three different, three little changes in angles, and this will give the person the ability to squat more. If genetics have an effect, yes, but I think people use it as an excuse. Like, I'll tell you this, man, like, I'm 5'4", I'm not, I'm not genetically gifted, I, every, every pound of muscle I put on in every record I got, I had to work my fucking ass off. Like, I never had any present, I, you know, so I, I, I don't, I don't like genetics as, as, as a thing. 
mm-hmm. it's having an effect. Yeah, sure. And um, you know, unfortunately, uh, Afro American people are genetically gifted, so they'll have they'll always going to have like an advantage. But besides that, I, I don't know. Work. I, I always say work your ass. Maybe you'll have to work harder than other people. But I want to believe that most times the hardest uh, working person in the room will give himself a fighting chance to win. Mm. even if he doesn't have the best genetics. Oh, yeah, 100%. No, I definitely agree with that. So uh, one thing that I was very, very excited to ask is that a couple of weeks ago, I was fortunate enough to um, to go to a seminar taken by Ed Cohen, and it was quite amazing to you know hear him talk about um, the way he pre- uh, prepared himself. And he was he says it very, very nonchalantly, like I just you know use linear periodization and then I squared 465 kilos. But um, in terms of a programming aspect of things, um, do you think linear periodization is just the way to go and be patient with perfect technique, or do you think there's a little bit more to it than that? So let me start to say I respect and love Ed a lot. He helped me. He's an amazing person and obviously powerlifter, and, uh, you know, he's a goat. There's nothing to say. Mm. But I do believe that what he's, at least what he's saying in his seminars is a lot more towards your beginners slash intermediate powerlifters, which for them, I think linear periodization can work great. Mm. I think in the highest levels, and when you're going like, um, when you're one place anywhere, top five, ten, ten, top, uh, top ten in a big meet, and you're actually dealing with heavy weights, there's a lot more to it. I'll tell you this, when I did, and you know what, there's also the... People like just think the weight itself doesn't matter because it's all percentages. That's wrong. So when I squatted 400 pounds, I could do it every day, seven days a week. When I squatted 500, I could do it six days a week. It, 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 the recovery is different. When I squatted 600, it was three times a week. When I squatted 700, it went out once a week. And anything over this right now, if I'm actually preparing for a meet, I have to squat every 10 to 12 days. The recovery is not is just getting bigger. And not because your body, not because your muscular system is tired. Your nervous system just can't recover. Now you add PAD on it that change a lot of things. And you and it, it's not as simple as, okay, let's put 15 pounds every week, uh, make our technique perfect and everything will be fine. It will work until some point. The second you get to a higher level, I think you need to do a lot more than that. There's so many little details and so many manipulation you can do in programming that I think to just say linear precision and technique is is just it's just not the whole truth. Mm. And again, there's many, and Ed, he's gifted. Like in powerlifting, he's gifted. You know, for people that are can't recover as fast or have different genetics, they might have to do stuff a little bit more, uh, so to speak, complicated to be good. So, so where do you gravitate towards? Do you do you like um, with you know working so uh, closely with Christian? Do you go towards like an undulating approach in, in the off season, then looking to peak and hit a weight on the platform that you've never lifted before, or did you always like to know exactly what you lift because um, you've done it in training? So here's the thing, like I heard Ed says that you should never miss a, miss a lift in training and in competition, you have to open with like something you can do for three reps and that you know that you can do. Uh, I, with this, I disagree uh, wholeheartedly because, well, I 
did so many meets. I think only two of them I didn't open with a world record. <laughs> and 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 my 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 um, logic behind this is like I'm going to a meet to do something I didn't do before. And if, and my and my other some basic assumption is if I hit a number in the gym, there is no way in hell I'm not going to hit it in the meet. You had adrenaline, you had you had focus, you you had competition. You will hit more. You're supposed if you have a good program and a good coach. You supposed to, you need to hit more than what you hit it in the gym. So I always aimed if the world record was 705, 706. I want to hit it in the gym at least once, if not twice, before the meet. And then I know this is going to be my opener. I see no point. If you're doing a weight for three reps, so great. This is your uh, opener. And then you're going to what you did in the gym as a second. So you basically come to the meet and only do one one attempt. It's such a waste for me. If you're strong, you're strong. And if you're not strong mentally, so fucking work on it. But if you, for me, if you come to a meet and you're just doing safe, you're you're just wasting wasting it the day. Mm. Just go to the gym and do like like what's the point? And uh, I don't know. In in again, because I am I do believe in going sometimes even max in training. I, I, for me, I'll tell you what I. So I believe in a system. I'm I'm going with a daily max, and I think that you, your max is changing daily because you know one one week you're gonna not sleep so well, and you're gonna have life uh, happening, and you didn't eat, and you didn't this, and your max won't be after like after a week that you did everything perfectly. So whatever the day gives me, I will go in the gym. Sometimes it's a two rep max, one rep max, three rep max, but I'll always check where I am that day before I'm going down for work sets. And it worked for me like amazingly so far. And uh, I tested it on a lot of athletes of mine. And I know my last girl, uh, the one engaged girl, Leah Davis, she literally 10 days before every meet, we maxed out. Mm. Like max, maxed out. Like she, her best spot is 540 in sleeves. And she did 525 10 days before. And then the 198, I think her world record is... um. Five uh, five seventeen. She did five hundred ten days before. Like I do believe that for the last study I read, it's, it says that from a max deadlift, it takes you up to twenty day, twenty one days to recover. Max squat up to twelve days, and max bench a week. So as long as you keep in roughly those time frames, I don't see a reason why not to push in the gym. Mm. And did you think it goes on to because when I when I was really studly, uh, studying um, program design and periodization, I was really obsessed with reps and sets and percentages. And then as I've just got more years in the gym and actually training myself, I've realised that they they're not irrelevant, but they're not as important as auto regulation and doing exactly what you said in regards to controlling the nervous system. Do you think that's a hugely overlooked part of uh, strength sports and powerlifting? I think. So I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I look at it as two things. I think people, especially powerlifters, it's funny because it's go both ways for bodybuilding and powerlifting. Powerlifters, one, I think a lot of them are fucking lazy because mm. they don't want to do hyper, hypertrophy work. And bodybuilders are lazy because they don't want to actually lift heavy. And and I think and um, if you do, for powerlifting, I think if you have a good base of just, mus- if you're talking just muscular system, if you have a good base, and I'm talking about not six months of hypertrophy, like if you have at least two, three years of good base, then it's contribute to when you start building your nervous system and vice versa. 
Like I believe that if you're you you after you hit this phase for powerlifting, you basically just need to train your nervous system, and your nervous system is the most adaptable and uh, system in the world. Like no one knows up until today, like how exactly it works. But I can tell you that when you lift heavy weights, your nervous system is almost getting used to it. I cannot train for like three months and I'll still, no matter what, will hit 600. And when I don't train for three months, if I'll go 500, 550, I'll probably miss the 600. But if I'll go 500, 600, because my nervous system already knows from before this number, I will do it. It's, it's, you can actually probe if you're do, with good programming. You can actually manipulate your nervous system to remember certain feelings, certain ways. And it's, it's amazing what you can do. Like in three weeks of just purely neural, if you, again, if you have a good pace with neural training, you can, you can improve so much. Mm. So really it's just it's the frequency, intensity, and then the recovery, the, the, the biggest aspects in terms of stimulating, well, getting the biggest strength response you can. I think the frequency is very, again, very individual. It's changed from person to person. Because, look, in weight, again, in weightlifting, we train six days a week, twice a day. Mm. And we did, some, some of us recovered, some broke. And, you know, they, they always say that they're Russian and the Bulgarian, both Russian and Bulgarian. Their system is like you get into the gym and whoever, whoever breaks is out. So they almost like filtered mm. the one who can handle the volume if you're looking on north america like compared to the east europe the volume is usually much lower mm. way lower and again it's it's all i think it's a lot of it depends of how you start what's your base and and how how what how your body reacts but um for a frequency and recovery is what will make what the, the most variables you need to play in your training uh, in training program Okay, cool. So we've talked about genetics. We've talked about programming. Um, when it comes to you know getting on stage at the highest level at the Olympia, when it comes to setting world records in strength sports, how much does boil down to performance enhancing drugs, and how much does that impact um, your overall performance and your ability to reach a world class level? Okay, uh, I'll separate the bodybuilding. <laughs> genetics play a big role. There's uh, no matter you know I always take that the um, example of um, uh, Branch Warren for example that he is just hard work versus someone like let's say Lionel Becky which no one is not working hard at all but just got gifted in terms because it's it's proportion and shoulder versus weight and uh, uh, muscle you know muscle shape so this is a lot of it um, genetic is a big part of it. In powerlifting, it's not the case. Powerlifting, like I said, I believe that if you work smart, programming-wise, if you know when to back off, when to push, how to deal with injuries, and you're willing to work your ass off, genetics doesn't play a big role. PD, I'll tell you this, and whoever said differently lying, there is no professional sport today, Olympic or not Olympic, that doesn't include PD. The thing is that it is a, a even level a game field because everyone uses it. You know, I remember Lance Armstrong, they, um, all the fiasco that was there, and they forgot to tell you that the hundred people after him also took it. Like they, there's people who actually got caught, and they just don't say anything about it because they ran 57 and 80 and 100, and it's go to all sports. 
human body doesn't meant to run 100 meters in 9.5 or squatting a thousand plus pounds. It, it's just not, it's not feasible without. The recovery, naturally, you can't get that kind of recovery from those, from those kind of efforts. And it plays a big role. But again, I do think it's an even level field because everyone takes it. Like everyone, and I, I, it's you know, it's funny. Like I'm going to commercial gyms, and I see the gym bros using a lot of gear. So if you think professional athletes don't, it's it, you know, you're living in a bubble. And yeah, it, it, obviously that's a fact. Um, and in this, again, it's coming to how smart you are, because you can do stupid cycles and actually hurt yourself, or you can do smart cycles. And if you know what you're doing, I, I'll tell you that eating McDonald's twice a day is probably worse than any steroid you'll ever take. Mm. Like, the, they, they get such a bad rep, and yet there's morons that take stuff and don't know what they're doing, and they will hurt themselves. But if you know what you're doing, PED won't be the thing that will kill you. It will, in a lot, you know, there's today what? Every 40 year old take a test in GH, uh, TRT. So obviously it's not it's not as bad as people might think. Mm. And do you think it's more just the education because it's a taboo subject which people will sweep under the rug? But when you've got you know guys going into the gym sixteen, eighteen, twenty years old and they know it's about you know if they were educated on it properly, do you think there would be a lot less of a stigma about it, a lot, a lot less, um, a, lot, a lot less frowned upon? I, I'll, I'll tell you, I think that the, the stigmas about juice are horrible. Like you, 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 you open the news, and if someone fought with his girlfriend, and he said, "By by accident, the bodybuilder, it's it's right away, it's roidrick, it's this, it's that." And and I think education is probably what we are missing because you know what? If a sixty-year-old kid understands training at all, and he knows that the steroid will work much better for him if he first train and diet and actually build his natural potential and then, then take juice, then the result will be so much greater than just taking juice before you do that. And I believe that if you know what you're taking and how much you're taking, and then you do this according to your goal, a lot of people won't take as much because someone who's just taking juice to look good definitely don't need to take as much as someone's trying to break a world record. And this is more is not necessarily better, mm. but but it's like it's how you take it. It's what you're taking for how long. It's what's your goal. And this, I think if people had this knowledge, mm. it would make stuff a lot more a lot more mainstream. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the seminar that you'll be teaching in the UK? Uh, first of all, I'm excited to come there. I'm also going to take advantage of it. And after the seminar, going to Israel, where it wasn't eight, 10 years, my home country. Uh, I'll tell you what, like for me, the first goal that I have in every seminar, I want the day after every single one of the people that come will have something that they can take to the gym, to their own training, to their own nutrition, to their own supplement and super supplement, and something practical. Because I, I know a lot of seminars, they're going a lot into theory, and then after the, the seminar is over, no, no one really knows what to do with it. So my first goal would be to actually give something practical. Uh, in terms of topics, uh, I go through like how I program things, what I believe in programming, how to build a training program according to your goal. Because bodybuilding, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, they're all different, right? Mm-hmm. You won't. So 
it's always going to be what you want to achieve. And this is how I plan a program. And then you're going, to, I'll go into like extra, like real life stuff. Cause not everyone can train twice a day and some people can only train three times a week. So I'm going to actually show how you can do it right with the bare minimum or with the maximum, depending on what you can get. And I think the most important thing that I, that I like to teach in my seminars is how much correlation there is between training, nutrition, supplement, super supplement. It's like they're all, one affects the other. And if you know what to do and how to combine them, you're, you're basically getting yourself the best weapon there is because they're, they're not separate. And so nutrition, for example, like the way you train will dictate how much you eat and what you eat. What you're taking will decide how how big your intensity in training, what's your volume, and so on and so on. So what I want to teach them is, first of all, how to incorporate them and, and what are the variables and how do you collaborate between all those aspects. Mm, well, that, that sounds very, very interesting. I'm, I'll be attending myself and I, uh, I can't wait to... Uh, go through the, the content and I'm sure that from what you said today there'll be so much for people to take away in regards to how to improve the uh, the training whether it's for bodybuilding or powerlifting or just a little bit more education on like we've said is a, is a very t- uh, taboo subject which is PEDs and and how to do uh, use them correctly I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you what usually after my seminars <laughs> I hate to say it but after I tell the truth about and actually explain not the not the stigma actually what it does and how it does I usually have a lot of people from the seminar deciding to start a cycle <laughs> usually like small cycles so I, I don't know if it's a good or bad thing because yeah. I, I I honestly believe that first of all you need you have to if you actually want to get the best uh, result for PED, you need to max your uh, natural potential, and that means perfect training, perfect diet, perfect supplement. But after you do all this, and if your goal is to actually be your best, I honestly believe that PED, in a, in a certain way, which I'll talk in the seminar, if you can do it very, very safely. Mm. Like the, it, it's not, it's it's as bad as to take Advil, yeah. or the, like no, so you know, people get so much stigma and so much like wrong information about it so for me i want to give people the education this is how it is this is what actually happened and you make your own adult decision and that usually when you hear the truth then like i can be so much better Mm. and actually not risking my health like people says and you know why not Well, if that doesn't get people wanting to attend, I don't know what will. And um, all I can say, Amit, it's been it's, it's been an absolute pleasure um, interviewing you. You know, someone such a high caliber across uh, three incredibly um, demanding disciplines to get to a world um, class standard is, is so impressive. Um, I can't I can't wait to um, attend the seminar myself. I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. There you have it. If you are interested in knowing um, or increasing your knowledge about uh, performance enhancing drugs or how to take PEDs safely, uh, I would. Uh, this is definitely a seminar you would not want to um, miss out on. Uh, Amit will be at Spartan Performance on the 27th and 28th of October. If you'd like to get tickets, you can head over to the Spartan Performance Facebook page or Instagram page. There'll be more information on there. If you check out Amit on Instagram as well, uh, there'll be links on how to um, confirm your attendance um, through Eventbrite. 
Um, or if you're not sure how to attend, just DM myself and uh, I'll direct you to over to the right people who can confirm your place. I shall be there myself on the Sunday and can't wait to hear what he has to say. Uh, personally, my biggest interest will be the program design for bodybuilding. But as we covered in the show, there's going to be loads and loads of interesting topics. So um, yeah, if your goal is to get big, strong and educate yourself on things that usually aren't um, being out there to be educated on, uh, this one that's one you don't want to miss out. So it's the 27th and 28th of October at Spartan Performance in Concert Durham.